Welcome. This is Beyond the Illusion. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we have a conversation with Vinnie Tolman. I went into this interview not knowing anything about Vinnie, so naturally, his story completely caught me off guard. And to be honest, I even choked up a few times listening to him talk. There's something about Vinny that is so unique and authentic that you just know he is speaking truth when you listen to him. Vinny's story is the kind of story that sticks with you and is a reminder to all of us about our true nature. maybe the shortened version because of course there was like time and space for other people to to share and then uh, really wanted to hear kind of the more detailed version of this incredible story that I think I think it's so inspiring to people to know about life on the other side I went through a phase where I watched a lot of this show I survived beyond and back and it was like all these experiences of near-death experience and I there was like consistently this theme of this incredible love and support and connection that there really is and I think that oftentimes death is presented in such a fearful way particularly in our culture we don't have really any beautiful ceremonies and honoring it's usually like very sad and very fearful so I just think it's an important topic to continually come back to is to hear other people's experiences near-death experiences to inspire and reassure and remind us and so yeah I don't know if you just want to start at the, wherever the beginning is for you Vinny. Yeah so I'll kind of give a little backstory. Um, a buddy of mine and me were both uh, very into fitness. This is back in the early 2000s, 2001, 2002. We were into like uh, amateur bodybuilding and personal training and working out, you know, a couple times a day. We were just like kind of big fitness gurus, essentially, spending a lot of our free time in the gym. And at the time, there was a very popular supplement back then. Um, it was called Fernone to Hydro. And the supplement would help your your muscle recovery, it would help the muscles recover twice as quick as normal. When you do a workout, what makes the muscle grow is it tears and then it heals, it tears and then it heals. And that's what makes the muscle grow. And so this recovery, this healing process was a lot on the supplement. And it was, it was kind of cool. It would, it would turn into like a natural chemical in your body. So it was, it was, it felt somewhat natural. He and I both really loved using this supplement to help with our workouts it was so popular that it was sold out everywhere. And this, this happened back in 2003 in January, we were trying to find it, at, you know, like any, you know, vitamin shop or GNC or any of these stores that you would buy supplements at, and we couldn't find it anywhere. So we, we ordered some online and that was our big mistake. We ordered it from a company in Thailand. That was the only place that had it available. So it took a while for it to come when it came um, we each took our normal dose and instantly we both started to feel sick. You know, having experiences with this this chemical in the past, if you had a little too much, you just eat some food and then you're fine. So we figured, hey, we'll go grab a bite to eat down the street at a at a breakfast place and, and everything should be okay. So we drive down the street, but by the time we get to this restaurant, 
um, we realized that we're in trouble, like something, something really bad's going on inside of us. Both of us are experiencing it. I barely stumble into the, into the restaurant, go into the bathroom and, and it was the single use bathroom. So, you know, by habit, I just locked the door and went in. Meanwhile, my buddy went in and collapsed on a booth inside the dining area and started to, to vomit all over the booth. So they, the manager of the restaurant called 911 and got an ambulance there and, and took him away. But there, it was, you know, right when the restaurant had pretty much opened that morning. So there wasn't too many people in there. Nobody saw that there was two of us. So everyone thought that guy had come in alone. And meanwhile, I'm in the bathroom. When I went in and locked that door, I, I instantly felt like the whole world was like spinning on me. And as it started to spin, I could feel myself falling to the ground. And I remember, remember feel, feeling something hard hit my head. I don't remember if it was my head hitting the ground or if it hit like the toilet, but I was standing over near the toilet when that happened. So um, needless to say, I, I passed out onto my back. And while I was passed out on my back, I started to also throw up. And in doing so, I, I aspirated, I started to breathe my own vomit and, um, and I died. The next thing I remember is I went from being in this bathroom to all of a sudden feeling like I was in a movie theater and I was like an empty movie theater and I was staring at the screen and on the screen, I had the point of view from like the ceiling looking down on a scene of this, this wretch of a body on the ground. And as, as odd as it is to say, I didn't recognize it was me because me was up in this theater looking down on the scene in front of me. I couldn't fathom that that could be me. I just only thought, wow, this is a horrible scene that I'm watching on a movie. I watched as the body convulsed and, and it started to just lay still. And I watched as people were going around the, the bathroom and, and one guy kept trying on the door. He was a customer. He tried like three or four times. And by the, by like the, the third or fourth time, he went and told the manager, hey, someone has locked their cell phone in the bathroom or they're in trouble because there's a cell phone in there and it keeps ringing, uh, but nobody's picking up and the door is locked. So the manager went over there and this is about 45 minutes after my buddy's been already taken away in an ambulance. Um, he unlocks the, knocks on the door, unlocks it and sees, sees another person inside that bathroom in the same kind of shape as the other guy. But this one is obvious. Dead. I mean, if you've ever experienced this, someone who suffocates like that, the whole, the neck had swollen already really thick and the face of, of the body was completely purple, like, like very, very purple, bright, um, uh, a very dark purple actually. And uh, it was just, it was very disgusting to see even the manager like started to, to kind of heave as he even saw that. So he ran and called 911 Actually, uh, yeah, so as, he, as they called 911, they, they had a medic uh, or someone, uh, an operator on the, the phone kind of coached them through what to do uh, in the meantime as an ambulance is on its way. And they weren't able to do anything. All the signs were pointing that I was dead. And when the ambulance got there, they also uh, said, no, this one's, this one's gone. By then, the body had gone, started to go cold. And a little bit of uh, like stiffness had started to go into the arms and the legs, some, some kind of some rigor mortis. 
as the medics came in, they, they attempted just some, some preliminary chest compressions and, and, and couldn't get anything, couldn't get a, anything, you know, no pulse, nothing. So they, they did pronounce my body dead. They flipped me over and did like a little, a little dissection of something off my back. I don't know what that was, but they took a little section of skin or something off my back and then flipped me back over and, and put me in a body bag and they zipped me into this body bag and, and tied it down to a, one of these gurneys and put it in the back of the ambulance. And meanwhile, they are doing all this paperwork that the manager had to sign. And, and I can feel and sense all the things that are going on around everybody. I could feel the, the kind of the terror in the manager's uh, emotions, as well as there was a girl that she was like 17, maybe 18, that she was working for the manager. And, and the manager himself was a very young guy. He's, he's probably maybe 19 or 20. So everybody in there was very young, except for the one customer. There was a customer that was in his like late fifties, early sixties. He was the one who was trying to open the door, but, um, you know, I could sense and feel and, and understand all that was going on around everyone. And it was really, it was really different because it's not like a normal movie that you go and watch a movie. I could, I could just perceive all of these feelings and thoughts and, and everything that was going on around every, every single person within my view. I could see that this ambulance team was a three-man team, two veterans, and there was a, a new greenie, a new guy. And they were training him, and he, he kept feeling bad that they didn't, they didn't do enough to try to bring this body back. He felt like they gave up too early, even though they didn't. They, they, followed, they were following protocol. The body was at a certain temperature that was, uh, you know, statistically would show that that body was definitely dead. There was no, no heart rate, no blood oxygen levels, not, no brain activity, nothing. So they knew that uh, the body was dead. And so they went through their process of what they do. They're getting the paperwork done. And, and I'm experiencing all this as they, it took them a good while. They had to wait for a police officer to show up and, and get a signature on something. And they gave him a packet of paperwork and, and he signed something for them. And they were going to go turn the, the body into a medical examiner. So they, they uh, you know, kind of taking their time to get everything done. Finally, the police officer does come. They, they trade paperwork. And then they pull away from, from the restaurant. At this point, it had been at least at least an hour from the time that my buddy had been pulled away from the scene. So it had been quite a while since he was pulled away. And I want to uh, stop for just a second. Yeah. So at this point, are you now aware that that was your body? Or in nope. what, what are you thinking? Like as you're seeing I'm, this whole scene? I'm, like- still, I'm still thinking I'm watching like an episode of of CSI or something, but I'm watching it from the ceiling like it. And, and um, it was very three dimensional with the experience though, because I was feeling and sensing and hearing thoughts and feelings of everyone that I was watching, which was really interesting to me. So, you know, they load the body in into the ambulance, they get all that paperwork signed the police officer pulls away. They pull away as they're going down the street. They're only about a block down the street when, I see this light gather around the, the, the medic who's the new guy. And in fact, he's sitting in kind of the new guy spot in the back of the, in the, back of the ambulance. Um, they call it the jumper seat. So he's sitting in the jumper seat. The other two veterans are up front. And I see this like light start forming around him. And, and as this light starts to glow around him, I hear an audible voice 
very loudly say, this one's not dead. And when he first heard it, he like looked around. He thought that his counterparts, his coworkers were messing with him. They thought he thought for sure they must have been. So he kept looking over at them and and saw that they hadn't said it. And he didn't know where it came from. And he was thinking about it and then started to disregard it when the glow started going um, not just from around his heart, but it went around his head and his heart. And it's, it's, it's odd to say it like this, but this is how I saw it. I, this glow, it was literally as if light was coming out of him and it was getting brighter. And as it got brighter, it got bigger and it started to encompass his head and his heart and started to go down to his abdomen, to the bottom of his abdomen. And I heard a second time, a very loud voice, even louder this time say, this one's not dead. And when he heard that the second time, he only thought for a millisecond and then decided to take action. He wasn't going to hesitate. He'd already been debating in his mind whether he should have done more or not. Even though he was the new guy, everyone was telling him that he needed to let it go. He felt that this was enough for him. So he first thing he did is he had to unbuckle like a strap that was around the neck area. They, he, or the high chest area, he undid this strap. And as he undid this strap, he, he unzipped the body bag and started feeling around, around the throat area. Couldn't feel anything. No, still no pulse, still nothing. And he was kind of grossed out by it because it was a very gross feeling touching a cold body around that area. Then he, you know, he had to do another strap and he unzipped the, the bag down further. And he started checking other vital areas. He checked under the arm he checked uh, down into the thigh, like deep into the thigh tissue. And, and as he connected to like the thigh over to the upper thigh bone, as he was feeling there for um, a pulse, uh, it was really weird. As he connected to the bone there, I actually felt a spark from me where I was sitting up in this, this like theater uh, per se. I felt a spark, like an ignition, kind of like a static static shock when you touch a, a, a doorknob and it shocks you. That's what it felt like. I felt a shock and I felt that he felt it too at the exact same moment. And still in my ignorance, I didn't realize that that was my body. I still didn't. I, but that was enough for him. That, that little ignition, that shock was enough for him to take some immediate action. He knew that he wanted to do something more. So he began to do the, the resuscitation process. He, he did a little trach right here and started feeding a tube down into the lungs, um, started feeding some oxygen in there. At the same time, he started prepping the chest area to do some shocking to bring the heart back. And that's what he did. He hooked me up uh, to some, some uh, sensors and diodes and, and hooked some things up on the body. And until they actually heard the alarm bells, so I guess in an ambulance, this is back again in 2003. I don't know if it's this way now, but back then when they would shock a body, there would be an alarm bell first. It would ring and then it would shock the body. It was kind of like a clear the body type alarm. So you weren't touching anything. And the, the other two medics heard this like alarm go off. And, and until that point, they didn't realize what he was doing. They didn't even really recognize that he was doing anything. They heard this alarm bell off. They turn back and they go, oh, my God, what are you doing? You're going to, you know, you're going to get fired. This guy's dead. Leave him alone. They started yelling at him. And that was right when the first shock happened. They started yelling at him. And there was no heartbeat. It was a flat, you know, dead, no heartbeat. 
he uh, went ahead and did the machine again. He cycled it again. And this time, the, the second shock, there was, there was a beat. There was one beat, and then it went back to flatline. So the shock happened, and then it went, it went like a very faint beat. It was like, whoop, and then it went back to flatline. And because there was one beat, the, the other medics started to kind of calm down, and they were still yelling at him, but kind of reeled it back a little bit. But then a third time he shocked the body, um, a faint, steady heartbeat started to go. At that point, the other two medics, they went into action and they radioed ahead to a, a hospital, which it just so happens that when all of this happened in, in the trajectory of where they were driving, it put them about a half block away from a hospital, literally to an ER, right when the heart started to go. So they were able to get me right into a trauma team as soon as, you know, within seconds, literally seconds of the heart starting back up again, they were pulled into a, an ER and there was a trauma team there ready to meet them. So it was really a, a miracle the way it all happened. And still in my ignorance, I'm sitting here in, in what I felt was like a theater watching some interactive show. And still it, it didn't seem like me because it didn't look like me. And me was up here in this, in this area where I was watching everything down, you know, down below me. So they, they take the body and the body is starting to come back now and it's going into convulsions and it's having seizures and, and they're trying to transfer it from the, the ambulance gurney onto a hospital gurney. And they're during those convulsions, they weren't able to hook things up to the body or inject things that they needed to inject. So they decided to um, restrain the body. They restrained the legs and then they restrained the arms. They restrained the two legs and then the arm. And then as they, they went to go restrain the left arm, I could actually feel someone grabbing my left arm in the chair where I was. So that was the first time that I had sensed that it was, it was possibly me down there. So they were, as they were pulling down like the left arm and strapping that down, I could feel myself resisting that. And I actually watched the body break the strap that they had, that they were using. And so as they, as they broke that, as I broke that strap, I, it tore free. And that's when I first realized that what I was watching was my own body. To that point, I had no idea that it was my own body. I had no idea whatsoever. I just, I, I felt I was watching a show, an interactive show per se. But until that point, that's when it dawned on me and it was very scary at that point. It was kind of like the movies where I, I heard like, like scary, like scary energy or scary music almost. And it felt like the, the walls were starting to close in on me. And it felt like darkness was starting to close in on me. And I could truly feel fear uh, encompassing me. I could feel it taking over me. And it was starting to squash my life force out. And as it started to do that, I, I then began to feel like a warming and the warming started in the middle of my back. And the best way I can describe it is if you're really cold and somebody takes one of these big like flashlights that are heat comes from them and shines it on your back and that just starts to spread warmth. That's what it felt like. It felt like I was in, in this cold place and all of a sudden I started to feel some warmth and it started in one small spot in the center of my back and it just started to spread. And as it spread, it started to encompass everything about me. And I started to realize it wasn't just warmth, it was light. And I was seeing like this light coming from around me and started to encircle me and encompass me. And it was pushing away the fear, pushing away this darkness that I was feeling. Instantly, I 
feel that it was coming from a certain direction from behind me. So I turned my personage or turned my, my presence around to see what was behind me. And I see this guy, I see this man and he's, he's, uh, he's older. He's, he's, he's probably looks like he's in his fifties, but his hair looks like he's a hundred. So he's got very pink, healthy skin, but he's got a really long white beard and he's got longer white hair. And the first thing I think is, is this God? Cause he, he kind of looked like the, the 1920s representation of what God would look like in the movies. So I, I asked him, I'm like, are you God? And he just got a smile on his face and he, and he just kind of shook his head and he's like, no son, I'm not God. And so my follow-up of course, being a Christian, <laughs> I'm like, well, you must be Jesus then. <laughs> and, and he just laughed and he's like, no, I'm not Jesus either. And I go, well, who are you? And he said, well, Vinny, I'm your guide. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you go where you want to go. I can help you go back to where you just came from, or I can help you learn more about where you're going to go next. Of course, I didn't want to go back. There were, it, it was not even a possibility to see all that pain, to see all that hurt and that, and that anguish and, and stress that was going on around the physical body. It was not even a question. I didn't want anything to do with that. I wanted everything to get away from that because it looked so painful and full of, of just not good feelings. And so I, I told him, I said, Hey, yeah, let's, I want to go with you. I want to go wherever you're going. I want to go there. He said, well, this is going to be, this is going to be a great journey for you, but it's just not, it's not just a journey of distance. It's a journey of understanding and that I would have to, raise my understanding as well as travel with him to go where we wanted to go. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm game. I'm ready to go. And at this point I started to realize that we'd been communicating for a little bit already, but I wasn't using a mouth per se. Cause I, you know, you don't need to use a mouth in that presence. You just think a thought and he, he hears it and he answers you without using his mouth and you hear it. So, so at that point we were, you know, communicating without mouths. We don't, you don't need a mouth. The mouth is a, is a, a symptom of the physical body or the third dimension, the low third dimension where we exist. And so he, he went through the process of teaching me some principles and, and helping me understand certain principles so that I could embrace enlightenment um, or understanding per se, so that I could get to where we wanted to go. And, um, and the way, the best way I can describe it is, um, if you if you have a room full of very high frequencies, and you bring something that's very low dense frequency into that room, it will shatter. Um, uh, if you take a room full of uh, full of speakers, and you and you play higher frequencies on these speakers, and you bring a very low density cheap glass into that room, it will eventually shatter because it can't keep up with those high frequencies. It's initially going to go in that room. It's going to try to vibrate at some of the frequencies. Eventually, as those frequencies get higher and higher and higher, where the glass can't keep up, it can't vibrate with it. It just shatters. And we, we are the same. Our soul is the same. Our presence is the same. So he helped me understand that I needed to raise my frequency and raise my understanding so that I could go with him. And, you know, I was raised LDS Mormon and Christian. 
So I told him, I said, I already know everything I need to know. I'm like, I could go, I could go with you right now. And, and he laughed. <laughs> he goes, you have no idea. And he gave me a little glimmer. So he was able to like send a little droplet of understanding to me to help me understand the real scope of the universe. And I mean, the tiniest of droplets just completely humbled me and completely brought me into realization that there is so much more, so much more out there that we have no idea in this world about. You know, we don't even get the tip of the iceberg. We get like the little tiny tip of the weed on top of the iceberg. Like we get so little of information here through our religions and through um, all of our belief systems that I had to, I had a lot of growing to do. I had a lot of understanding to learn. And so I did, I went through learning. He, he took it, he broke it down in digestible format. He broke it down. So he broke it down kind of principle by principle. As hard as it is to understand, he, it, it felt like a 30-year college course, like, you know, getting a, a doctorate in spirit and enlightenment. And I had to do it in a matter of seconds, moments, and days. Overall, I ended up being three days in heaven across the whole experience. But I had to go through that whole process um, of understanding to get myself to heaven. In that space, did it feel kind of like timelessness? You know, we always talk kind of like outs- when we're not centered or focused in our body, when we're, you know, outside of our body, that maybe uh, it's hard to gauge time. Did you have a sense of passage of time or only after? It's weird. Time is, it, it just really doesn't exist there at all. And it's funny because my consciousness kept trying to give myself like signposts of time. Like one of the hardest things for me to understand was authenticity that, you know, me growing up in a a very, a very strict Christian society, I had a few different versions of myself. I had a version of myself that I, that I, you know, interacted with my parents. I had a version of myself that I interacted with fellow church members at church and with pastors and with preachers. And then I had like myself that I interacted with friends and then I had a whole different self that I interacted with at work. So I had all these different kind of personalities or versions of me that I allowed out. And he was telling me, my guide, he was telling me that they all needed to be one being. And then it needed to be the same being no matter where I went, whether I was at work, whether I was with friends, whether I was at home, whether I was at church. Um, it needed to be the same authentic being for the good and the bad. I needed to not hide anything from anybody. I needed to authentically own my weaknesses as well as my strengths and authentically um, open myself up to the fact that there were certain aspects that I hated myself and there were certain aspects that I really loved myself, but I wouldn't accept either in, in the physical realm. I, I always wanted to dance on this fence line where I thought that, that you had to be. And that was one of the hardest principles for me is, and it was so against everything that I'd been trained and taught in my life, that this authenticity was so important. And one of the reasons why is he says that being authentic is the only way to clear the whiteboard so that you can start learning. And if you can't do that, you can't learn. And so that was the first thing I had to do. I had to really come into my authentic self, um, my, my weaknesses and my strengths. 
and I had to fully be open to the energy of, of God or source and my, and my guide so that they could help me grow. Because, you know, you can't live in a house of cards and start building um, additions or add-ons to the house. You really have to start going to your core where there is structure and from there you can add on. And so that's what I had to do. And essentially I had no structure. I had to, I had to wipe the, the slate clean and say, okay, I'm going to throw out everything I've learned my entire life. And I'm going to um, let you help me understand everything new and fresh. And so that's what I did. It took a little bit of resistance though, because I really believed that I knew everything I needed to get to heaven. I really believed that. With every fiber of my being, I felt like I knew everything. Now, was I following it? Not necessarily, but I felt like I knew it, though. I knew everything I needed to do to get to heaven. And um, I was very far off, very, very far off. I was, if it was the Empire State Building, I was over in China. I mean, I was way far off from where I should have been if I had uh, been authentic with myself and been true to the energy of, of God and source. Yeah, I was just very far off. And so that's what my guy did. He, he helped me through the process of learning. And I could truly talk for probably 30 hours just on the some of the principles, the like the primary principles that we went over. And again, while I was there, it only three days passed. But you could ask, did it seem like three years? And I would say yes. And you could ask, did it seem like 30 years? And I could honestly say possibly but yeah, only three days passed. And, and again, we come back to that time. Time uh, doesn't exist there. And so they can take as much time, you know, quote unquote time as they need for us. And when, they, when we're able to come back, we're put back right in the, in the timeline that we're supposed to be. It's kind of like the, the, the train can't leave without us because all, we do, all they do is bring us right back to where we're supposed to board the train. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how time exists there. And so, yeah. So, you know, during this time, whether it was <laughs> three, three days or 30 years, um, and you were learning all of this, you know, kind of s- seeing everything from a new perspective, was that exciting to, to like, oh my gosh, there's so much that I didn't even know, or was it really painful to kind of knock down your house of cards or was it both? It was both. I mean, I had the, the like sadness of, oh my, oh my gosh, everything I've learned my whole life, it wasn't wrong. It was, it just wasn't enough. It's, it's kind of like all I ever did was watch trailers my whole life. When I finally got to see the movie, the trailers don't do justice to the real thing. Right. So, and, and it's because how religions are, is their creations of belief systems to try to help give us guidance. Right. But yet I got to kind of step out of the board game and see how the real existence is. And so I realized that sometimes these board games are in good ways, other ways they are. So I was able to really, you know, understand where I stood and it was kind of uh, disheartening. But at the same time, it was also an opportunity full of light and hope that, wow, I was going to understand things the right way now, finally, after my whole life of, of maybe perceiving it incorrectly, even my own religion. I, I had to redigest my own religion because I could now sense the truth behind the principles and how a lot of those principles, I took a completely different direction than 
than what was meant in the original inception, you know, or the really the original divination of, of the principle. So, yeah, it was it was both um, amazing and disheartening at the same time. But what's so cool about this this place and I, I, I do need to take just a second to explain this. When you first die, there's nothing in this life that is like it. Nothing. You can take every single moment that is um, full of joy, light, and love for you in this life, add it all together, and it's, and it's not even an eyelash to the existence there. The existence there is, is full of all permeating love, all permeating love. The love that you get to feel there is so strong. And the, the beautiful part about it is in this life, you know, different traumas kind of build little holes and empty gaps within our being. And within seconds of being there, all those empty holes and gaps are gone. Every single one. Now you get to choose whether you embrace this or not. For me, it was a no brainer. As soon as I started to feel that warmth, I allowed it in and, and it completely took me over and this this absolute p- unconditional peace and love that that overtook me completely erased um, a pretty traumatic childhood that I was raised with, and literally erased it. I had no ill feelings, no no harboring of bad anything towards anyone. I just felt absolute love for everyone in my life once I was there, and I might have gotten like a kind of like a shortcut version of this love because I didn't have the, they knew that, that my experience wasn't going to be permanent, that it was going to be short term. So they might've, you know, fast forward this process for me so that I could go there and have the experience and come back. But truly I can tell you there's not a harm that can be done to our, to our psyche and to our body here that can't be resolved in the first second that you're there in that unconditional all permeating light and love of God. There's just nothing, nothing that can't be erased, nothing. And to think about that, even, even those who, who experienced and lived in the concentration camps and saw some of the most horrible things that this world can throw at them, those things can be erased and cleared and cleaned in the, in the waters of love in the first seconds of being there. And and it's that light and love that you're existing in as you travel. And so that's why I say I couldn't think bad about, about learning wrongly. As I traveled, I did learn a lot of the things I, I took the wrong way out of my own religion, out of my own belief systems, out of, out of following Christ, you know, Jesus Christ as my Savior. Um, out of following, I, I completely was following it the wrong way. I wasn't following in the way it was it was meant to be. And and that would be disheartening, but in that state, it wasn't disheartening. I was just so full of hope that now I knew the right way. Now I was learning the right rules. Now I was learning the the right path for myself to essentially reach this high frequency where God exists, where our creator exists, where where we all originally come from. I was just so excited about it. The whole time I was traveling, I was I was kind of like a little kid on vacation the first time. I just kept wanting to to see what was next. I was just excited about the the simplest little things. As we started approaching this big big object of light, it looked like a sun, um, but it it wasn't a yellow light. Like you know, you look at our sun, and it's definitely a yellowish light. It's extremely bright, but when you 
when you sense it and feel it, it's like a golden light, right? But this place, it's like a white light. It's a, it, almost a bluish white light. And it's coming from this big star out, out here. As we're, we're getting closer and closer and closer, I realized that it wasn't like a star light that we're used to. Because the stars that we're used to are these big balls of gas and they're just burning you, right? But not this place. The light was actually coming from within everything on it. But it was so bright. It was, it was brighter than our physical eyes can behold. Our physical eyes wouldn't be able, to, uh, be able to behold the light that's coming from everything there. That's why I had to leave the physical body to get there. And this light that was all permeating and coming from this, this big orb or this big planet, I could sense that it was, it was more than 100 times bigger than our sun and more than a million times bigger than our earth. It was, it's huge. This, this place is larger than, larger than scale that our, than our brains can comprehend. It really is. Our brains cannot comprehend how large this place is. And as we're approaching closer and closer, I actually started to notice these smaller orbs and they were yellow light. They were kind of like our sun and they were all around the outside. Now, they were, it wasn't like Saturn where there's like rings or anything, but in kind of some of, a, of an unorganized ring pattern, there was all these gold orbs around and they're very small compared to this huge, huge planet these smaller orbs are floating all the way around the outside of this place. And, and later I kind of sensed that that's what some people might call like the pearly gate is all these pearls or, or I asked my guide, I'm like, what are those? Are those like mini planets or galaxies? What, what are those? And my guide allowed me to see inside one of these just for a few seconds. He allowed my presence or my consciousness to extend over to one of these and I looked inside. Inside, I could realize that these orbs are like little bubbles of protection, and they're surrounding a bunch of souls or presences inside. I could perceive there's probably a, maybe a few hundred inside this one that I was looking at, and that the structure of this orb was, was actual love, a protective love, kind of like a shell around the outside of all these, these souls or these presences. But inside was um, a bunch of angry, upset humans. I could see a bunch of us in there, a whole bunch of us. I got to see this one gentleman. He was dressed in like 1920s style uh, clothing. He was wearing like suspenders and like a, an, a white undershirt underneath the suspenders. And you could tell he, would, he had just finished like a hard day of work or something. And he was yelling. He was cussing. He was using every profane word that I've ever heard, plus some. He was using words that our current culture doesn't use, but he was speaking part, uh, you know, English and then another language and just really cussing out, literally cussing out someone. And it's funny to me, it looked like he was cussing out this lady, but I could sense from him, he, in his mind's eye, he was cussing out his son and he felt betrayed by his son. He felt like his son had pretty much killed him the way that he felt betrayed by his son. And he, he felt so much betrayal. He was just expressing this feeling of betrayal that he had for his son. He was going off just, you know, boom, 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 all this stuff. Then I look, but, but yet he's directed towards this lady. 
And then I look at the lady and she's doing the same thing towards him. But in her mind's eye, she's doing it towards her daughter and how her daughter had abandoned her and how her daughter had left her for, for dead and didn't want her to have any connection to their family. Now, this lady was a diff- totally different time era, though, not from the 20s. Like She's probably from like the 60s or 70s. But she was feeling the same type of feeling that this man was feeling. And there, it's really kind of odd that they're both feeling it towards their, their own kids. Then my, my perception or my attention went back to the man at this point. And I saw him get to this point where he kind of ran out of steam. Like he ran out of all the anger that he was feeling and he ran out of all the, the distrust and, and betrayal that he was feeling. And he finally got to the end of letting it out. And he like took this deep breath, like this really deep breath. And he's like, and then he, then his eyes opened up. He realized where he was. He's like, he started looking around and realized that he was not where he thought he was. And once he got to this point, these two light beings came in around him and then he disappeared. He literally was like instantly taken from that location to the planet that we were going to. So that's when I realized that all these little orbs or pearly gates are like decompression chambers so that people can cleanse themselves of all this negative energy. Because like we were talking about frequency before, they're existing at a lower frequency and if, they, if you plop someone at a low frequency into this place, you will be shattered into so many small micro pieces that, that you won't exist anymore in that, in that form. You'll exist you know, in a different form. So that's why these, these chambers exist. They, and they truly physically exist. And I'm still, even though I would call myself a soul or a spirit, I'm still physically existing where I am because I can touch, feel, sense everything like I would in a physical body, but just to a much higher degree. And so I learned about these gates, that that's what they are, is they are a place for us to decompress. Kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, when somebody goes on a a military mission, they have a, a debrief. You know, it's kind of like that. They need to decompress. They need to release and let go of what's going on in the physical realm. And until they finally let that go, the the heart cannot receive that light. It can't receive that trajectory to get them to heaven. So um, it was really cool. I got to see that little um, miracle, per se, for this this gentleman from the you know the early twenties to be able to receive light. And that and it again goes to the timelessness of all of this is, you know, here he is in the 20s. There was somebody from the 70s. I'm here from 2003, but we are all existing at the same time. That's so beautiful to hear because, you know, when you think of the pearly gates, people think it's this like judgment place where, you know, only those who are good enough to come in versus this idea, what you're saying is like, oh, it's really for one's protection that they just need to release something so that they can move forward. Yeah, and, and it's this is this is going to ruffle some religious feathers out there, but I'm going to tell you there's no such thing as a a judgment seat where we go stand before a a angry creator where he slaps a gavel and says, "Here's your sins. You're going left or right." That just doesn't happen. Here's the reality of it: the system's already existing. The system exists. We plug into that system. We allow ourselves to go to a certain uh, level of graduation in life. 
God and, and, and the Creator's grace takes us even a step further beyond what we would allow ourselves to go. But we're in such a state of love and harmony that we can't lie. There's no, uh, you know, there's no car salesman out there uh, going to the very top of heaven saying, yeah, I deserve to be there. You know, nobody's faking it till they make it there. You really are authentic by the time you get there and there's no other way to be. So you go as far as you believe your worth, your value is, or your frequency is. And what's really beautiful about it is then the grace, the grace comes in. And grace is, is part of what we do. And so is works. That that we're able to learn and embrace. But it's not a matter of reading specific scripture and memorizing scripture and doing that kind of stuff. The, the works are doing kind things for others, elevating the soul through service and through serving others around you, no matter who they are, whether they're, whether they're human, whether they're animal, whether they're plants. When we serve other life forms, we are serving God. When we're in the service of our fellow being, not our fellow human being, not our fellow animal being, but all beings, whether it be plant, air, you know, earth, stone, all beings of life. When we're in the service of, of our fellow being, we are in the service of our creator. And that's where we grow. That is where we grow. And that's also where we heal, too. What's really cool is, you know, one of the things I learned is as we're over there, the secrets to a, to a healthy soul and a healthy spirit is, is getting outside yourself and helping others. The best way to help yourself with a problem is find someone else with that same problem and help them and watch your problem disappear. And that's how it happens. That's how we can heal ourselves. That's how we can help others at the same time. And at the same time, we're raising the frequency of both of us, those who we're helping and those who uh, are being helped. But, you know, it was really amazing after I got to see those pearly gates and see those, those decompression chambers, I instantly started to perceive this planet again, and we're getting closer and closer and closer. I could see seas on the planet. I could see mountains. I, I could see valleys and plains, and I could see that we're, we're coming down in this really sacred area. I could tell it wasn't just like your average, because definitely on this planet, there's places everybody can go. And then there's places that some of us can go. And then there's places that only a smaller few of them may go. And then there was like a very elect few. And even though I didn't deserve it, and I knew I didn't deserve it, I was going to the, the one of the spaces for the elect few. And um, this space for the, the elect few was a kind of a garden per se or university. Um, but it's not a university like what we would think about in our world, where it's a you know, a plot of land with a bunch of buildings and, and housing and all of that. It was a beautiful, beautiful kind of little valley with a, a stream, like a stream slash river winding through this little valley and had a slight hill on one side. And then where the hill and the valley came together, there was this, this just beautiful building. I cannot describe this building. This is just there's no words to describe it. I'll do my best. But, you know, I've worked a lot of different materials and construction in my life. And this building is built out of one block of marble, one block. The entire building is built out of one block of marble. But the, the marble there is alive. And it, the colors and the, the flecks in the stone actually are, are fluid and they move with light and the there's actually light coming from inside this marble and as as we i could perceive it 
And it was funny, I wasn't even there yet and touched down on the planet, but I was so focused because it was a focal point of mine where as we were going, I could see this building of marble. And so I asked my guide is, you know, is that mar? I just had the, the thought, is that marble? And instantly I was seeing the building like up close and I was, I was sensing an actual presence that was existing in the marble and it was the marble and that that presence loved God and loved our creator and, and existed at this love frequency that the building would become whatever you wanted it to become. If you wanted it to be, you know, uh, Roman structure style, it would be Roman or Victorian, whatever. It was just really so elegant and, and more elegant than anything I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen so many buildings from all over the world in Europe and Asia and, and all over in my life. And there's nothing on this planet that's even close. And uh, I could see that there was uh, students at this building and they were going in and out of these, these special rooms, we could call them classrooms, but someone would go to the room that they'd want to go in. And if they had the right frequency, the wall would just open up. It would just open an opening. They would walk in and then the opening would close. And if somebody walked up without the right frequency, it would be impossible for them to get in the room. But what would open up would be the right room for the right frequency. So for any of those Harry Potter fans, it was kind of like the room of requirement, but it was a whole building of this. And it, and it was really delivering the education and, and the room and environment that you would need so that you could grow there. And it was just amazing. And, and at this point, I started to realize we were getting so close that I could almost touch the ground with my feet. And as we, we did actually come down, I actually felt my feet touch grass and, and come down on ground. And I could feel that as I, I touched that grass, I felt like I plugged in. And it felt like I'd been unplugged my whole life. And now I was home. I was plugged back into my home. If I could even take one blade of grass and help you understand and realize the amount of light and beauty and love in a single blade of grass there, we would explode. Our, our human bodies wouldn't be able to handle the amount of love that, that exists in just a single blade of grass there. I mean, that's the glory of this place. It's just absolutely beautiful. The grass had like a own, like a music coming off of it. And I could perceive that music right as I touched it. And then as I touched it, I could actually taste it. It had like a sweetness to it. And it had, um, it had a smell, a, a sound, and, a, and kind of a savory flavor. But there was another sense there. And it's a sense that we don't have here. It's a, it's a whole other sense. And it, it has to do with our heart. It's like how that grass felt in my heart. It was just delicious, like a beautiful, amazing, delicious experience to even uh, discover and experience this grass. It was just absolutely um, breathtaking to, to even touch that grass. And it's funny because my, my guide um, at this point, um, I had learned at this point that his name was Drake. He finally, he had told me, he said, hey, um, I, was, I was known by Drake, you can call me Drake. So I've been calling him Drake at this point. And I go, Drake, this is just amazing, this grass. And, and he, he goes, if you think that's great, you should really see the flowers. And then my presence goes from the grass to all of a sudden, bam, I am actually seeing one of these flowers. And, I'm, and it's a flower that doesn't exist on our planet. I'm seeing it from the perception of like a bee. I'm actually down 
really close to the flower itself. I can see the color, the deep, beautiful colors inside of each petal. And I can, I can sense the light that exists inside of the, each petal. And it's just absolutely amazing. There's no words to describe these flowers. They're colors that don't exist here. You know, the closest thing, if, if you go watch some of these new TVs that are out there, they have this enhancement that they do to color that makes it more vivid and more bright than the real color is in real life. It's kind of like that, but a million times better. <laughs> it is, it's, it's just, again, you can't use words to describe the colors that you see there. They're just breathtaking. They literally take your breath away. You can't talk. When I first perceived the color of, of these flowers, I couldn't talk. I couldn't, all I did was, I mean, you're not having a physical body, but I was just a mess. I was, if you could call it crying, I was, I was just emitting love out of me and it, I couldn't contain it. It was flowing in me and just spilling out all over, kind of like crying. And, and then, then my, um, my guy, Drake, he, he's like, well, now that you've seen flowers, you really should see water. <laughs> And so then my perception went to water and water was so, so different than the water here. The water there was light and you didn't get wet unless you wanted to get wet and you could stand near water and ask it to be a part of you. And it would like come up your leg and be a part of you. You could taste it if you wanted to, you could, you know, you didn't, you don't need to bathe there. There's no, there's no dirtiness there. It's just, it's just, everything is in an, an organized matter that where, Stuff doesn't exist where it shouldn't exist. It's just really, really a, a beautiful existence there. And at this point, I started to realize that things were starting to wrap up energetically. And I could start feeling um, the energy of my guide coming in kind of as a protective energy around me, kind of like he wanted to start putting a little bit of a blockage between me and all this love energy that was around me. And at this point, um, I was hearing... I was hearing loudly um, a blessing or a prayer that was being given to my body. And it was being given to my body in a hospital, you know, eons away. I mean, literally eons away, further than the mind can comprehend where my body's existing. It's getting a special prayer being said over it. And as this prayer is being said over it, I can hear it loud as, as if it's being said in my ear up in heaven. And when they said amen, I turned and felt this pull, this like pull away from where I was existing. Then I realized that right before the blessing had started, that my guide Drake had said, Vinny, this is going to be hard, but I promise you it's going to be worth it. And then the blessing had started. And it's weird because my, my perception didn't really understand what he said until the prayer was finished. And then I understood what he had just said. And then I was gone. I was pulled away. My free agency was gone. I had no agency anymore. I was forced back into my body. To me, it was almost instantaneous from the amen on the prayer. And then I woke up in the hospital. But the, the real time of it was, it was about just after 10 p.m. that my brother in the physical realm was giving a, this special prayer to my body. And when he's said amen i woke up but i woke up at 1 a.m so it was a few hour delay there but still you know 10 p.m to 1 a.m uh was the essential delay 
But to me, it was instantaneous. I was instantaneously forced back into my body. I woke up. I was connected to, to life support, full life support. I had diodes and tubes and was that the same all day sorts. that you that they found your body? Was that the same day or were you no, in so the hospital this, for a long this time? Was a, so Saturday morning was when they found my body. And then I woke up at 1 a.m. Tuesday morning. Okay, so, so it was literally three days in real yeah, in, in so our world. Saturday to Sunday, Sunday to Monday, and then Monday to Tuesday morning. Okay, yeah. so okay, I see. Wow. Okay, so so it all was, of this happened over the course of in our time those three days. Yeah, then. yeah. So essentially three days in heaven there, and uh, you know I, I woke up, I pulled off everything that was on me. I felt like I had been a giant, like a giant being. And I was forced back into a thimble. It's kind of like as if we're existing how we are and somebody took your presence and forced it into a monopoly piece. I mean, that's what it felt like. I, I felt like I went from this grand experience and presence down into this like little tiny miniature form. And I felt so restricted. It felt like handcuffs were put on my eyeballs. I felt like it just so restricted everything about my existence in the physical world i felt restricted so i my first instinct was to take everything off i literally took everything off i took all the tubes off any any gowns that they had on me everything i took everything off and i just stood there i even ripped out a, a catheter i just took it all off and i just stood there like taking deep breaths um in the hospital room and i just I stood there for a few seconds. All these alarms and bells are going off around me. And then it hit me like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> like I felt, I felt even constricted, even being in this, this building. I realized, you know, I was naked. So I needed to find something to wear. And I wasn't going to wear any of the gross stuff that I just pulled off myself. So I opened up the cupboards and inside the cupboards, I found like some, some hospital gowns. So I grabbed like two or three of them wrapped them around my middle section and I took off running down the hall. I ran one direction towards this elevator and I could see that there was an elevator there. So I'm running towards the elevator. I get to the elevator and I hit the down button. I, somehow I know I go down. So I hit the down button and I'm, I'm sitting there waiting. I feel this like frantic energy. And then I, I hear a scream and the scream is coming from a nurse that had ran into my room and saw that there was no one there. <laughs> she thought like a body snatcher had come and taken the body or something. She didn't, she didn't know what happened. So she just screamed. And then another nurse came running. And as she ran, she saw me and then went running in the room. And then she like popped back out and was like, what? And then she screamed. And then I, I like yelled. And then I realized I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to have to go back to the room. Um, <laughs> so, so they came and got me and, they, they had called some security and the, and shortly after them taking me to the room, a security guy showed up and, and he was my babysitter from about, you know, 1.10, 1.15 in the morning until uh, almost 7 a.m. when I could be released. So I, I, I knew I was fine at that point. I felt completely normal. All the doctors said I should be a vegetable. I should be brain dead. They said I was brain dead up until that point. They didn't believe that I should be alive, let alone functioning at all. And, and so they wouldn't, they didn't want to let me go. They didn't want to release me. So I had to, I had to sign a whole, almost like a phone book worth of paperwork 
in releasing myself from the hospital. So I called my dad and, and he came and picked me up and, and we were out of there about six thirty seven a.m. that morning. Wow. It, I mean, it's amazing you, you even felt like you could get up at all. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. It, so. yeah and to me, you know, there was no question because I had so much freedom where I w- had been. And to come back, I, I really, I yearned for freedom. In fact, the first thing I remember doing was running. So as soon as my dad dropped me off at home, I put on some jogging shorts and I just went running. And I ran for like, <laughs> probably like four or five miles. I just had to, I had to like get expel this energy off of me. I had so much energy in me. I had to, I had to get it out. And so, and I'm not really a runner myself. And, you know, I used to, used to play rugby back in the day and I would run as I had to for rugby. And, you know, we would do regular runs for that. And I would rollerblade for joy and for fun and bike ride for joy and fun, but not run. Run was something I always had to do for rugby, but never want to do. And, uh, but yet with this, I had to run. I had no question. I had to run to like expel all this energy out of me. I even remember as I was running, I felt like this scab right here and I like peeled it off and I'm like, huh, wonder what that was. And it was where I had the tracheotomy. So oh my um, by then it had already healed by the, Whoa. by the, by the time I got out of the hospital, it had actually already healed. I had a little tiny scab there that I peeled off when I, when I was running. Wow. The, the very morning that I was checked out of the hospital, I went back to work and I used to build houses back then. So I went back to work the next day, the very next morning I was back at work. Well, that's incredible. I mean, it's unbelievable. So whatever. And when I showed up to your the job site, uh, my, my boss goes, Hey, no call, no show for two days. What happens? You die. And I go, actually I did. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with your friend? Is he okay? The, the other one. So uh, they were able to catch his in plenty of time. So the, uh, you know, all it was, was um, toxicity. You know, what we had found out later is this, this supplement that we had bought when we were buying it in the United States, it was a 5% solution, but what you bought overseas was a hundred percent solution. So essentially what we took was 20 times the dose of what we normally took because it was full strength. And normally what we were buying in the States was just a, a watered down, you know, 5% solution. So um, that's what the problem was. And it was just toxic. It was toxicity to get that much of that supplement in you. And I would have been fine if I'd been able to vomit it out, yeah. but I didn't. I vomited and then breathed it in and then I suffocated. That's what ended up killing me, but he was fine. So they, they brought him into the hospital. They pumped his stomach with some charcoal and then they released him like that evening. So he didn't even spend a night in the hospital. You mentioned that the first thing that happened when you were with your guide is that he, he said that you had to become authentic. You had to be your authentic self and that you had all these different uh, like personas that you would be in based on what situation you were in in your life. And have you been able to do that? Have you been able to be your authentic self more? And, and if you have been like... How has that been for the people in your life? Have they recognized there's like a clear difference in you now? Yeah. So um, those who knew me before the experience and those who know me since, they definitely know I'm very different. What I've had to do, though, is when I came back, and it's weird, even though I had done all that work of becoming my authentic self to be able to grow, when I came back, I was back to all these separate personalities. And, and it's not like schizophrenia or anything. It was just 
different facets of who I was. You know, you'd only show one facet to one group of your friends. And so I learned to weave all these, these facets together into one being of myself. And being that one being everywhere I go, at the same time, I don't, I don't broadcast everything about me to everyone I'm with. I'll let them know about me uh, what's proper. Like at my job, I don't let them know everything about me. I let them know a lot about me, but not everything. But if they ever ask, I'm 100% authentic. Like if they ever ask about my death or about anything, I'm 100% authentic. And same thing with customers that I work with, you know, in my day-to-day business, you know, friends and family. If anyone ever asks, I'm 100% upfront and uh, authentic with them, but I choose like how much they're allowed to know of me. And I, I kind of use a barometer of energy with that. The higher the frequency being, the more they know about me. The lower the frequency being, the less they know about me. I love that. That's such a good barometer. I'd really like to hear more about uh, the integration because, so, I mean, it's crazy that you just like went back to work the next day, but I'm sure that there was kind of a long process. Having um, spoken to many other people who had near-death experiences, I often hear about a depression that happens because of, you know, the difference of the vibration here and there and then kind of integration process. So I'd love to hear more about what that was like for you. Yeah, for me, I went right back to work. That was, that was a good thing for me to go right back to work. But then the weekend came. That very first weekend, I remember feeling just depressed, absolutely depressed. Because, you know, after that experience, I didn't really want to go out and be with a lot of people because something changed in me. I didn't have this. I had it a little bit before. But before my experience, I could sense and perceive spirit and energy pretty strong. But I, I couldn't really put my thumb on what was coming across. Like I didn't necessarily get direct communication, but I could perceive it was good energy or bad energy that I was perceiving from everyone around me. And uh, we all have that. We all have this like energetic barometer where we can feel like good energy from someone or bad energy. All of us have that, right? Well, after I died, it was now vocal. It was very strong vocal. And all of a sudden, I realized I had all these people around me that called themselves guides, and they wanted to always chat with me, and they always wanted to talk to me, and that all of a sudden, I could sense and perceive these beings around everyone. And so I did go through a little bit of a crazy phase where I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was uh, clinically insane. I I went and saw um, a couple of professionals. Finally, on the prompting of one of my guides, I actually started repeating what I was hearing come through. And after doing so, I got confirmation from the therapist that what was coming through was absolutely authentic and that they didn't understand it. It freaked them out and they didn't want to hear any more about it, but they, but they needed to let me know that I wasn't crazy and that I didn't need to be on any medicine and that um, I needed to figure out some way of embracing this in a healthy way. And so that's, that's kind of the energy I went forward with. But I was still extremely depressive and suicidal in the beginning because, you know, the best way to equate it here is, is you know, give your kid, um, take a kid from a third world country where they have nothing and then take them to Disneyland, give them a credit card that has unlimited limits. They can get anything that they want. Let them live that life for, you know, li- and I, I don't want to equate it to money, but, but give them give them all the love that they could ever receive in their 
in their being for three days and then send them back to prison in a third world where they get no love or get very little love. And that kid would be depressed. And that was me. I was that kid. You know, coming back was extremely hard. And my guides kept telling me, it's going to be worth it. Don't forget what Drake said. He said it was going to be worth it. Don't, don't disregard what he said. And so, you know, a lot of times I did actually think about suicide in the beginning because that was the easiest way back. And I did get, keep getting told by my guides that, that it wouldn't work. I wouldn't get to where I wanted to go if I went that route. I would most likely end up cycling back into a life that was even harder than my own. And so um, I didn't want to mess with that either. But, you know, my guys did keep saying, don't, don't worry, hang in there. It's going to get better. One of my new, my new energies that I came back with was I wanted to pay recompense with anyone I had harmed in the past. And one of the people that I didn't harm her, but I always, I didn't treat her the respect that she deserved was one of my really good friends. She always wanted to go, you know, hang out and go do stuff. And I could never do it because I was too cool or too busy. And I, I didn't think I was too cool. I was really busy, but I, it seemed like I could have made a better effort for a friend. And, and for her, I, I didn't make that effort. And I felt a very strong pulling that when I got back, I needed to make that effort with her specifically. And so she was one of the only numbers I did not delete out of my phone. And so I called her up and said, hey, you know, I need to make amends here. You know, the last three times you wanted to go do something. I couldn't go. I was too busy. Let's go do something. She said, well, that's great. I'm going to go bowling tonight with some friends. Why don't you come with us? My ego or my traditional self was like, no, you're not a bowler. That's stupid. Just stay home. But spirit prompted me. They said, nope, you're going to go. And so I said, okay, what time should I go and where should we meet? So it, it just so happened that she, they were all going to meet at a house like three blocks away from my house. So I, I was like, okay, I'll meet you guys over there. So, you know, that night I go over there and, and uh, knock on the door and I can, I can see some, some guys in there playing a video game just inside the window. So I knock on the door. And I'm like, what the heck? Why aren't they answering the door? I knock again. They still don't answer the door. Finally, I knock a third time and I hear a girl yell, like, is anyone going to get that? And nobody answered. So she comes running downstairs. She opens the door. And when she opened that door, we had our our magical moment. We both saw each other. We connected eyes. And this was not my friend. This was her friend. We, we had one of these life moments where neither of us could speak. Neither of us could move. We were just frozen in time. And we just stared at each other. And, and I could literally see heaven, like this small glimmer of heaven inside her eyes. And I didn't understand it. It was so intriguing to me. Because she didn't look anything like what I, I had ever dated in the past. So to me, she was pretty much the exact opposite of any girl I dated in the past. But I could see heaven in her eyes. And it just intrigued me. So I, I was frozen there. She was frozen there. After a few minutes, finally, words came to me. And I, I was like, can I come in? And, and I came in. I met my, met my wife. Her name is, is Andrea. And truly, she's, she's my keys to heaven. And and through, you know, her and, and I together, we've been able to have two kids, two amazing angels. And both of them are, are additional keys to heaven, you know. And they, they keep me on this planet, all three of them. It's, you know, my anchor point to allow me to still exist in this third dimension, in this place where things are not nearly as easy as over there. I mean, it is. It's just so much 
easier over there. You think or want anything and just you absolutely get surrounded by this love and that love takes your, your presence and puts you where you want to be, or it creates what you want in front of you. It's just, I mean, the existence there is just so beautiful. And, and, and that's essentially why we're here. All of us is because existing there, we don't get the agency to really make free choices because when you're so close to your creator or your source, you, you by default, make the right choice all the time. You do because you're so full of that love. You're so full of that, that creator that's right near you. Any choice that's put before you, it's not really a choice. It's just you, you always do the right thing. And so that's why we're here. That's why we come down to this lowly third dimension. And it's almost as far as you can get away from God without being uh, you know, completely away from God. And, and we exist remotely here so that we can learn to lift the weights of making choices and build the, the spiritual muscles of agency and choosing to create and choosing to build and work and thrive in this physical world so that when we get back there, we've actually had a good workout. We've learned to make choices. We've learned to, to use agency to do good things. And that's what this is all about. It's not about the traumas that happen to us. The traumas, like I said, the traumas that happen to us are gone in an instant. In an instant, if you open your heart to God, you open your heart to the source, to creator, whatever you, whatever name you want to put on God. If you open your heart and your source to, or, or open your heart to that energy, all trauma that can ever be put there is gone instantly. And then you can get to the work of, of using those spiritual muscles that you built while you were here. Because over there, we're all creators just same way that we're all creators here. It's just here, if you want to create something, you want to create a building, you go find an architect or you draw up the plans. Then you go find a builder or you physically build it. You gather the materials. You, you're able to build and create the same way as there. It's just over there, it's so much faster. So by us learning here, it's kind of like lifting weights in water and then lifting weights out, outside the water. Lifting weights in the water is super easy. And that's where that's how, what it's like lifting weights in heaven. It's just so much easier there. Whereas here we can really, you know, step out of the water. We can lift those spiritual weights, make those choices, learn to use our free agency to do good things. And when we get back there, we get to actually use those muscles to do good things and create. And God is, is so playful and full of light and love. He wants us to create there and he wants us to give us the, the agency to create, but he doesn't want us to just keep replicating more creations that he, he would create. He wants us to create our own creations. And for us to do that, we have to learn agency first. And that's why we're here. And again, um, you know, I keep saying he and giving the male connotation to source and to God, but truly God is beyond male or female. God is before male and female. God is the creator of the universe. Some people want to say heavenly father, heavenly mother, the divine masculine and divine feminine are both God. Some religions want to call God Allah or Yehovah or Yahweh or Om Chai or a lot of different names out there for God, but it doesn't change the energy of what God is. God is the, the creator and source of light and love in this universe. And it is through light and love that, that the universe functions and moves and, and works. And it's through connecting to that love and 
giving of that love through service and caring for others that we can connect to God, that we can connect to source. We can connect to the divine masculine and feminine. And we don't need to call God a God or goddess or, or whatever. It doesn't matter what we call God. Uh, the energy doesn't change. Uh, what changes is us. And we need to find out our, our version that we synchronize with and we harmonize with. And we work with that version. It's really important for us to connect to our creator because the creator is there and it's real and has uh, wants us to learn how to create. That's beautiful. Do you feel, you know, a lot of times um, when I talk to people who've had near-death experiences, they come back sort of feeling like they have a mission, like, yes. oh, the reason why I came back. And I was curious if you feel like that or, or maybe just, you know, being here is is the mission. So I felt I felt like an urgency to get the story out. But to tell you the truth, I couldn't even tell the story to anybody but my wife and really close people, really close friends until later in life. And actually, the, one of the coolest parts of my story, I didn't even tell you yet. So after the whole existence you know, of crossing over, I meet my wife. Right after I meet my wife, she helps me completely change my life. She helps me start living the way that I should live from my experience, not the way I had lived before my experience. And she really brings this new hope into my life of living this new path. And one of those new things that she was really big on was family. And, you know, prior to the experience, family was kind of a nuisance and a bothersome thing. And every time I heard from family, it was usually because they needed me to do something for them. And it was different now. And now family was something I really looked forward to being with. And she was helping me with that. And one of the things she wanted me to do was go to a family reunion. And I hadn't been to one in years. And just so happened that this family reunion is up in this little town in Wyoming called Afton, Wyoming. And up in this little town of Afton, Wyoming, um, in the Star Valley area of Wyoming, uh, just south of Jackson Hole. Um, I know exactly we went to the, where you're You know talking. where it's at? Yeah, yeah I'm, so, I'm from Wyoming, so yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, you know where the elk arches are, right? There's an elk arch yeah. in Jackson Hole and there's one in Afton. So, yeah, so the do, elk horn arches, yeah. So as, as uh, we're going to this family reunion, this was in around July 4th at time period that we go to this family reunion in Afton, Wyoming. Well, one of the members at the reunion says, hey, at the high school tonight, they're doing a little show to give a history of the town of Afton, Wyoming, and kind of how the whole valley started. So we, we go to this show. It's, this show is another thing that I normally wouldn't have gone to. But my wife, you know, she's my fiance at the time. She goes, let's go. This is going to be really important. It's part of your heritage. You know, your family's from here. You need to learn about them. So we go to this show. We watch all these skits. They're doing dancing and pioneer dresses and, you know, dressed like cowboys. And, and they're doing all these little skits and shows to show what life was like in Wyoming back in the day, back when the, the founding of the town happened. And then they started, they, they reel out this big movie screen. And they start showing some slideshows while they're doing the skits. And these slideshows are different people, you know, founders of the town and the first mayor and the first pastor and the first bishop and the first, the first, all these different people for the town. And up comes this picture and I froze. I absolutely froze. Let me see if I can show it to you. So it was this picture. So this is the picture that came up. This guy right here, as soon as I saw it, I couldn't speak. I couldn't talk. Uh, it felt like ice water got 
got poured into my spine. I just froze. And the energy changed so much around me that my, uh, my fiance, Andrea, she turned to me and she's like, she looked at me, she looked at the picture, she looked at me. And then she's like, that's the guy. That's the guy. That's Drake. That's who you've been telling me about. And I, I, I couldn't talk. I literally couldn't talk for, for a few minutes. I couldn't talk. It was him. It was absolutely him. And come to find out even at the bottom of the picture, you can get this, this name here. So it's, it says Charles D. Kazare. So um, it's the D is for Drake. So Drake was his middle name. That just so happens. That's who he is. Drake Kazare. We were staying there in, in Afton near my grandmother's house. So after the show, we went straight to her house and, and I asked her, I go, Grandma, do you know a guy named Drake Kazare? And she goes, oh, yeah, great, great grandpa Drake. I remember him when I was a little girl. I asked her, I go, what, what can you tell me about him? And it's funny, she described him the exact same way I had always described him to my wife, to anyone I had told about my experience. She goes, he had these blue eyes, that his blue eyes could literally see into your soul. They could see through you and see who you were as a being. And it's really funny because my grandmother only knew him as a little, little girl. She knew him for a few years before he passed away. But yes, that's something she remembered. And she remembered, you know, her mother and her grandmother talking about him that way, the same way. And it's funny, even in spirit or in, in the form that he exists now, he still carries that. Being able to see through you, really, really gauge who you are in, as a soul. Well, fast forward, we got married. This was in July. Then we got married in August. Then fast forward again to October, the very um, end of October, we had the opportunity to go move in, take care of my grandmother towards the end of her life. And, and we took advantage of that opportunity. We, we, were at the, we were the only ones in the family that could were kind of mobile. Since we were newlyweds, we could just move up there. And I, I did construction, so I could, I could build homes anywhere I went. So we did. We, we moved up there, and we started taking care of grandmother, uh, my grandma. And uh, while my wife was there taking care of her, she was helping her go through a lot of old documents and a lot of old forms. And one of the old documents she found was a, a special prayer that was given to Drake Kazir. So this special prayer that was given to him. So in the, in the Mormon faith or the LDS faith, they'll give them kind of a guidance prayer for their whole life. And it's kind of like a, a foretelling of what to look for and kind of milestones of, or guidance for your, for your entire existence. And uh, they call these blessings, they call them patriarchal blessings or, or uh, the, the blessing of a patriarch. We found this blessing that was given to him. He was like, uh, I think he was, if I remember right, he was like 18 or 19 when he got this blessing. And we're reading through it and it had like two paragraphs, only two paragraphs about his physical life here on this planet. And then it had a whole nother page and a half of what he was going to do after this life. And one of the jobs he was going to have was to be an escort and a guide for his loved ones to help them cross over and help them uh, grow through the eternities. And it's like, so I had a confirmation, number one, of Drake. Then I had a second confirmation that not only was it Drake, but he, even he was living out his own destiny and what was foretold in his own life, the way that he was helping me. And it's just, you know, it was confirmation for me because I still, to this point, was was really struggling. Like, am I crazy? 
Am I hallucinating? Am I remembering wrong? Because I'm telling you, like the medical profession was telling me I was. They said that, no, your brain's dead. It's creating all these, these chemicals. And when your brain has blank spots, it wants to just fill in whatever's there with imagination. You know, at this point, you want to you want to not believe traditional medicine, but at the same time, you don't want to believe them because if you believe them, that means your whole experience was nothing. But yet, if you, if, if you don't believe them, then that means your experience was everything. So, you know, for me, I, I was really struggling. And when I saw that picture of Drake, it really, it kind of helped seal the deal for me that I wasn't crazy. And then this really did happen to me. And then secondly, reading that blessing, I mean, you can't make stuff like that up. You can't make timelines like this. Your brain, you know, the human brain can't do that. And plus, at, you know, growing up, I'd never seen a picture of him my entire life. There was no way for me to perceive who he was. So it was really a beautiful confirmation for me that, uh, you know, I wasn't crazy. Now, I am crazy now. I fully embrace it. But I'm crazy <laughs> by the third dimension standard um, because I don't live in the third dimension. And I fully admit that. I live, communicate, and express uh, my life and my energies at it. At, I consider it like the fifth and sixth dimension where I exist now. And I hope to go eventually to the 11th dimension where I can really connect to God and to source. And, you know, that's where, where I perceived heaven was, is at that 11th dimension. And, and then above that dimension, there's even dimension to get to source. So um, we, we are really blessed to be in this system because the whole system is built out of unconditional light and love from our source, our creator, our God, our Allah, our Yahweh, Yehovah. Really, it's, it's built out of light for us, love for us, so that we can grow. And that's what this is all about. This is, and that's the whole experience, you know. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I have one silly question about how do you experience grass and flowers now <laughs> if you experience them in a different so way. Here's, here's what's really cool. So our world is a copy of that world. Okay. It's like, if you know, if you go to the Eiffel Tower, you can buy a little tchotchke Eiffel Tower that's like this big. So our earth is the tchotchke Eiffel Tower, but the real Eiffel Tower is heaven, right? So it's like so much grander and bigger. But here's what's really cool. Just like getting the tchotchke Eiffel Tower, if you really bring it in front of your presence and connect to it, you can actually bring your presence or your consciousness over to the real Eiffel Tower. I can do that sometimes with grass and with flowers and with bees and with birds and with hummingbirds and with with um, all sorts of forms of life. If I really go to a deep meditative state or a deep sense of being or being present, in my physical body, I can allow my presence to travel and to astrally connect to whatever I'm looking at, what, to, the, to the real version. For every blade of grass that exists here, there's a real blade there. You know, this is the copy, this, that's the original. And for every uh, version of us here, there's an authentic version there, you know, and, and we are little glimmers, we are little extensions of that real existence and that real being of ourselves up there. And, you know, some might call that our higher self, but it's, it's all us. It's, it's just an, a different aspect of us, but we're an extension of that existence uh, here. And, 
Yeah, you can connect to the real thing all the time. But here's the hard part, though. You have to love what you're looking at, even if you're looking at the copy. So if you're pulling up that little mini Eiffel Tower, you really have to love the little mini tchotchke version for you to be able to, for you to be able to connect to the real version and get your consciousness to the real version. But then once you're there, the the way you're able to travel through the gap up to the real, say, Eiffel Tower, you can walk around and tour around and and feel and taste and experience that whole experience in the real existence, not the virtual, the real existence. So. And all of us can do that with a little bit of training. All of us can. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I mean, I could probably keep asking you tons of questions, but I realize that we've been talking for a long time and, and you've been <laughs> talking for a long time. Was, would there be anything else that you really, you know, from your heart want to share? I, I think you have really shared from your heart, but anything else that you think is really important for people to know, you know, that came through this experience of yours? Um, the number one thing I... I want to leave with anybody who is possibly listening to this or watching us or anything. I want you to know that life is not about who's right, who's wrong. Life is a hundred percent about connecting to the right, connecting to the light, connecting to the love, find where you connect to your source, find where you connect to your creator and build a special place in your mind there and go to the most holy temple there is on earth. And the most holy temple on earth exists between your two temples. That's the holiest place on earth and, and for you. And so go to your holy temple inside your two temples and connect to your source, connect to your creator, because that is where you will find heaven. That is where you will find the answers to the universe. That's where you'll find direction to the simplest of mundane things but also to the most complex questions. We all have the voice of the creator inside of us, but it's, it's up to us to tune into that voice. It's also up to us to listen to that voice because a lot of us out there, we pray every day, but we'll pray and ask for answers. But yet we, before we even wait for an answer, we go along with our day. And it's really important to sit and quietly um, receive answers from source, from creator, and to wait after we've asked the question. You don't ask someone a question that's a friend and then just walk away. You ask them a question and you wait and you listen for the answer. And too many times we think that God's like a text message, that we send a text and eventually the, the response is going to come. Well, if we're not there and we're not in a receiving mode, we're not going to receive the, the, the message back so it's important for us to keep ourselves present and keep ourselves understanding that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience in a physical body. And if we keep telling ourselves, I am a spiritual being living and breathing inside this physical body, and it is my spiritual being that is looking out these physical eyes, and any ailments that are here are just the mundane physical. They don't matter. But what does matter is the etherical, the eternal, the spiritual. And of those matters, the most important is love. There is no more important fact or principle in our life than love. Love is the most important thing in our existence. It's the power that runs the universe. If you were to actually say, what's the fuel that runs our universe? You, would, you could break it down to the strongest four-letter word in the universe, and that is love. And that's what this all boils down to. If we can connect to love, we can connect to source and creator 
and the cosmos are our backyard. We can go anywhere we want to go with our consciousness and with our understanding and with our presence. And it's through that love that we can connect to each other. We can better each other's lives. And it's through serving and loving and caring for others that we serve and care and love ourselves because all of us are extensions of God. And anytime we harm another, we only harm ourselves. Like one finger can harm another. They can harm each other, but they're only harming themselves. And it's the same here. When we have judgment on others, when we have anger towards others, we are only having judgment or anger towards ourselves. So when we have those opportunities where we feel a feeling of anger or judgment or harm, we need to choose that opportunity as what it is, an opportunity to love ourselves, to forgive ourselves, to respect the fact that what's going on in front of us is an extension of us. And the only way to get beyond that is to love all forms of us, every single form that's there, and to see the whole universe through that love. And when we have that love in our soul, in our heart, in our presence, we can truly grow in ways that we had no idea possible. We can attract amazing, beautiful experiences in our life, and we can attract a life for ourselves that is beyond our wildest dreams, wildest dreams, if we can embrace that principle of love and loving those around us, no matter what's going on. That would be my 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 final message. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Vinny. Thanks for sharing your story and, you know, for coming on and talking with us. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah, I'd love to, you. if, if uh, any of your listeners or, or even your, even yourself, if you guys ever have any questions, we could come back on and, and uh, answer questions too. Absolutely. Is there anywhere, you know, if people wanted to reach you, is there some way that they could or? Yeah, I, uh, I have a website. It's, it's in the baby stages. It's called uh, livinggodslight.com. So uh, livinggodslight.com. Eventually that's going to be up and running. I have a, a book that is in the midst of being published. So we are in uh in process of like editing and publishing and all of that stuff. So eventually that'll be out. Hopefully it's towards the end of the year, like Christmas season. So yeah, we're excited about it. I've, I felt like you were talking earlier. I felt a, a true mission to share this experience and it, the timing wasn't right until the recent years till, till the recent past that, that it's become the right timing and, and God has lined everything up for it to happen. And uh, I'm excited about where it goes from here. It's a little scary because it's sharing of my personal life and my personal experience. And that's always scary for everybody. But as long as you're doing it with authentic love, then whatever comes is growing experiences and not a bad thing ever. So I embrace it. I fully embrace the, the light of existence, the light of our creator. And I'm excited for the future for all of us. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to checking those things out when they're ready. Mm-hmm. Thanks. In divine timing. <laughs> divine timing. Yep. Yeah. I just felt so much heart energy when you were talking and like very high vibrational energy. I was like, woo, a little bit for, for a while. Yeah, I could, feel, I could feel the vibration that, that you're residing in. So it's lovely. I love bringing forth that power of that love there. And it's funny, it's not, it's nothing to do with me. It's just a matter of me trying to connect to that love that I really tried to bring that out. Again, it's so hard to use words like physical words to to discuss something that's not physical, but yet that's more physical and real than this existence here. I mean, this is the virtual reality. This is the video game. 
that's the real existence. This is the board game. You know, we're living inside the monopoly pieces. Once in a while, if we go to the Holy Temple uh, up here, we can step outside the board game and we can see it for what it really is. And that's what it, this is all about, is I, I want to try to help everyone understand that this is just a board game. Don't take it so serious. Don't think that this is it. There's so much more. This is the game. The real life is what happens next. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I actually well, needed to hear a lot of that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for giving me this opportunity. I, I love uh, any opportunity I have to share this experience and share Drake because he's, he's still a guide for me every day. I love him. And here he is uh, helping a lot of people, actually. So I've been able to share his experience with me. And, and he's helping Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you very much to Vinnie Tolman for taking the time to talk with us and for sharing his gifts and knowledge with us. If you'd like to know more about Vinnie and his book, please visit his website, livinggodslight.com. And before we go, I'd also like to say thank you to Casey Henson for creating the music we use on this podcast and to Tiana Roser for keeping this podcast interesting and going strong. For more information about us or to access past episodes, please visit our mind-boggling website, beyondtheillusionpodcast.com, and you can find us on social media as well. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. This will help other people find us. Take care.